You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I juggled a, a lot of different things in high school. So I, I was a soccer player at heart. I was on to play soccer for Penn State from, I think, fourth grade. I was telling people I wanted to study meteorology and play soccer at Penn State. I played soccer my freshman year uh, in the fall and then in the spring. I was like, well, I'll do track. It'll get me really in shape for soccer the next year. And I ran my first mile and broke five minutes and was like, wow, this is actually quite fun. By the end of the season, I had big improvements, focused more on the two mile and found this love of the sport where it's very simple. It's you run at varying levels of effort and you set goals. And when you achieve them, uh, you can build upon them and set new goals. And it's very black and white. That was Tyler McCandless. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning in to the new Marnie on the Move podcast series, Long Slow Distance. The series is fueled by several of my favorite brands. Mad Ritual CBD, On, Roca, Noon Hydration, Salt Stick, and Navitas Organics. Long Slow Distance is a seasonal podcast series purely focused on endurance sports featuring athletes, coaches, and industry experts offering a deep dive into training, technique, racing, insight and advice, and of course, the mind-altering concept of long slow distance, also known as LSD. The series is inspired by my training for the 2019 TCS New York City Marathon, born from my decade of training for running and triathlon events, and paralleled with my love-hate relationship of doing long slow distance and my desire to be fast. I decided to embrace the concept and make it fun. I will be conversing with runners, triathletes, swimmers, nutritionists, doctors, and more. If you listen to Marnie on the Move on the regular, you know I often get into the weeds with Marnie on the Move endurance athlete guests about their training and racing. So I thought I'd do a focus series on one of my favorite topics, long, slow distance. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Marnie on the Move and my new series, Long Slow Distance. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am also officially a proud marathoner. I finished the TCS New York City Marathon this weekend, and I have lots to say. So stay tuned for my race debrief session later this week. Today's guest also ran the TCS New York City Marathon and is headed to compete in the Olympic trials in spring 2020. Tyler McCandless is a top American distance runner, scientist, has a PhD in meteorology, and is one of the founders of the Kauai Marathon Youth Program a marathon he has participated in for nine years. He has competed in two Olympic marathon trials and qualified for a third with his 212-28 marathon to finish second at the USA Marathon Championships in December 2017. Tyler is also a new dad with a 16-week-old son, as I read this intro. He lives and works in Boulder, Colorado as a machine learning scientist at the National Center for atmospheric research and is currently working on a variety of projects in the Research Applications Laboratory, also known as RAL, including using machine learning techniques to improve wind and solar power prediction for a project in Kuwait and building an algorithm to improve wildfire prediction. Tyler has won four marathons the Kauai Marathon in Hawaii in 2011, 12, and 13, and also the Iwaki City Marathon in Japan in 2012. In July of 2011, 
He was awarded the Roadrunners Club of America's Road Scholarship, which is an award to assist American post-collegiate runners who show great promise to develop into national and world-class distance running athletes. On today's episode, Tyler and I sync up about where it all began, his athleticism, his interest in meteorology, and he offers some sage running advice and marathoning tips and more. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to your Apple app, scroll through the podcast episodes, click on write a review and tell us what you love. And don't forget to leave five stars. Now on to the episode. As I mentioned, Long Slow Distance is fueled by a few of my favorite brands, the ones that I use every day for training, racing, and life. I wanted to quickly share why these brands fuel me for success and some of the great deals they're offering to Marnie on the Move Long Slow Distance listeners. Here we go. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So if you're sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women, athletes, and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, use the code Marnie on the Move, and start shopping. Speaking of active, on running shoes offer runners the perfect mix of design and function. Running in on shoes is a game-changing experience thanks to their proprietary cloud tech technology. You really do feel like you're running on clouds, whatever your shoe preference is. I have several pairs as I am logging lots of miles for the TCS New York City Marathon and switch out my sneakers often depending on the distance and the terrain. Side note, I do have a few pairs that I use for fashion and every day. If you want to learn more about On, you can go to their website, onrunning.com, or you can download the episode of Marnie on the Move with co-founder David Alleman. Now, if you're a triathlete, you probably have heard of Roka. I've been wearing Roka wetsuits for triathlon for the past five years, and they've been terrific for my swimming, speed, and comfortability. When I learned they were expanding beyond wetsuits and goggles and introducing eyewear, I immediately got a pair of the sunglasses, which I have been wearing for the past several months. No matter how hard I try, I can't shake them off my head, which is great since I'm always on the move. All Roka products are high-tech, performance-focused, with functional design. Behind the brand are founders and athletes designing products for athletes like themselves. Learn more on the podcast Marnie on the Move with Roka co-founder Kurt Spencer or shop their website roka.com and get 20% off with our code Marnie, M-A-R-N-I. Now, if you're an endurance athlete, you know how important it is to replace electrolytes and salt as you sweat for hours on end. Salt stick caps have been my go-to for training and racing for years. They reduce heat stress, muscle cramping, and maintain electrolyte levels. 
SaltStick also offers the only electrolyte capsules, liquid add-ins, and chewable tablets that were formulated to closely resemble the electrolyte profile lost during activity, which is sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium. Use the code MARNIE20 for a 20% discount at checkout when you visit shopsaltstick.com. Please note, this is only available to people with a U.S. mailing address and expires on December 31st, 2019. My other go-to fueling and hydration resource is Noon Hydration. I simply add their hydrating electrolyte tablets into my water and I'm good to go. It tastes great. There are lots of amazing flavors. I'm currently obsessed with their watermelon sport hydration and the blackberry vanilla rest. Noon began as the first company to separate electrolyte replacement from carbohydrates. The result, a healthy hydrating beverage without all of the extra sugar and additives. Noon Hydration is hydrating the planet, one runner, surfer, cyclist, yogi, hula hooper at a time. And the list goes on. They have taken the brand beyond sports and endurance with immunity and vitamin tablets. They use clean ingredients and suppliers backed by third-party certifications and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegan. I highly recommend you add their tablets to your water as you race and train, whatever endurance sport you're doing. Lastly, but most importantly, for recovery and for fueling, is Navitas Organics. I am obsessed with their plant-based superfood ingredients and have been adding them to my smoothies for nearly a decade. From their all-in-one organic essential superfood blends with protein, greens, probiotics, and enzymes for post-workout or even just for breakfast. I also use their maca for adaptogens, camo camo for extra vitamin C, and cacao. They also have an incredible line of CBD-infused wellness shots, restore, calm, focus, and bliss, and delicious superfood lattes. Head over to their website and stock up Navitas Organics is offering 25% off for your first purchase with the code MOVE25 upon checkout. Head over to their website, NavitasOrganics.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a chance to sample and try some of these great products. Now, on to the episode. You just got back from Kauai and you ran 130 miles while you were there? total (laughs) in in the last seven days that i was there yeah yeah it was a wonderful time it was a good race plus vacation we were a little nervous taking our seven to eight week old on a plane for the first time nevertheless a a flight all the way to hawaii and a red eye back um but the little guy was a champ oh wow that's amazing yeah made for a much more enjoyable experience you guys are super new parents yes very new wow (laughs) That's exciting. There's a lot going on. Yes, definitely. So what were you doing in Hawaii? So uh, the Kauai Marathon I've done actually for nine straight years, either the full marathon or the half marathon. Right. And I had had initially gone for, um, uh, there was good prize money in the full marathon. And now I do more of kind of an ambassador role running the half marathon, trying to build youth running in Kauai. So I'll wear a chicken suit the day before and run these kids races. Uh, it's like super hot and humid and I'm like out there for an hour and a half in a chicken suit and then racing the half the next day and running with kids at schools. And uh, it's a great experience. And then we get to relax a little bit on the island afterwards. That's nice. So, And that's your annual vacation that you've been doing since you've been running the marathon. And so you start, you yep. started are you one of the founders of the youth program for that marathon? I am, yep. So what inspired you to start that program? 
after a couple years of going to the island, I just felt like I came back with so much aloha spirit and happiness and just the welcoming of the community there. And I felt like I had an opportunity to, to give back by helping with youth running and the ability to have big sporting events on the island and good role models for those kids is so limited. They used to have the PGA Tour Championship there and they haven't, I don't think, since 2006. So the Quiet Marathon is one of the biggest sporting events the island holds. So I felt like it was a great opportunity to show kids that running can be fun. It can lead to amazing experiences and try to give back in any way that I could. That's so amazing. And you started running when you were in high school. You were a football player before you were on the football team in high school and then you switched over to track. Is that where running began for you or were you running before that? Uh, I was running a bit before it. So I, I juggled a, a lot of different things in high school. So I, I was a soccer player at heart. I always wanted to play soccer for Penn State from I think fourth grade. I was telling people I wanted to study meteorology and play soccer at Penn State. Played soccer my freshman year uh, in the fall and then in the spring I was like well I'll do track it'll get me really in shape for soccer the next year and I ran my first mile and broke five minutes and was like wow this is actually quite fun by the end of the season I had big improvements focused more on the two mile and found this love of the sport where it's very simple it's you run at varying levels of effort and you set goals and when you achieve them uh, you can build upon them and set new goals. And it's very black and white in a way because you have a time and a very clear place. But it's so simple as well that it makes it, to me, much more enjoyable than trying to get the right amount of playing time in soccer. And it's no fun to really be at a soccer game when you're on varsity as a sophomore, but you're on the bench in the first half. So I kind of lost the love of soccer that sophomore year and I started kicking for the football team and that gave me a great team community and really enjoyed my time kicking for the football team uh, at Northampton High School. But my love for track eventually took over uh, to cross country replacing soccer my sophomore year, or sorry, junior year of high school. And then pretty much since 20, 2003, I've been running uh, nearly every day and running's been my true passion. If you're running every day, how do you keep your body healthy? My wife and I had this discussion last night about how to stay healthy. And I feel like it's a, a long-term discussion that we've had. And it's really consistency. And it's so boring to say, I'm not doing anything special with nutrition or sleep. It's I do all the little things to the best that I can, given I'm balancing a career, being as good of a husband as I can be, as good of a father as I can be. Um, but it's really the consistency in running that makes the biggest difference. If you're trying to do running every day one week and then you only run two days the next and then you're running every day the week following and then you miss four days in a row, that type of lack of consistency, you're stressing your body in ways that it's not prepared to handle. But if you're running, for me, very consistently, 90 to 110 miles a week in marathon training, but I pretty much do that every week during the year, save for a few weeks immediately post-marathon, my body's 
in that routine and you're not really overstressing it in any way. It's just being almost consistently stressed with variations from hard workouts and races to recovery days. But you can train your body to get used to the training load slowly. So you didn't just like start by doing 90 to 150 miles a week. I mean, you started probably, you know, when you were in high school doing a couple miles a week and slowly built your body to the place where, you know, now that's your normal. But if you take down the volume or miss a couple workouts, that's where it becomes challenging for your body to adapt to the training. Absolutely. In high school, I was more in the the 25 mile a week range. I probably right. peaked my freshman year, you know, and by the end, I built up to maybe 50 miles a week. And then in college, by the end of my fifth year, I was supposed to do 100 miles a week. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of the appropriate level of maintaining a progression in your training and it's something I talk about with my coach Steve Jones when we build from one marathon training cycle to the next training block whether it be a marathon or a shorter distance race it's always how do we make the incremental adjustments that we learned from this last training block given my my experience to improve for the next and it's not okay we ran 100 miles last uh, last training block on average, let's average 140 this next one. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee there'll be some sort of injury or mental or physical burnout from that. So it's really maintaining consistency with exactly what you said, that asterisk of being building to the appropriate level that you should be at. That's so interesting. Now I, I really understand, you know, everybody talks about consistency, but I never really understood it from that perspective. So that's really, that's great. You have an amazing time. 2-12-28 marathon? Uh, a little less than two years ago. It was at December at the California International Marathon in 2017. And I knew I had great fitness for years leading into it. And the marathon is such a... Uh, it's so difficult to get right on race day. Everything has to go well from nutrition, pacing, uh, how your competitors are doing how you feel that day. So the training leading up to it is so important, of course. But there's also an aspect of what happens if the weather's bad? What happens if the the course is more challenging than you had anticipated? Uh, you miss your fluids or your nutrition, or there's a group that you're running with and they push the pace too fast or they slow down too much and you're left alone. There's all of these you know, intricacies in the marathon that it's very hard to get two hours and 12 minutes of running to, to flow and to go so well. So it was, a, it was a great day. I'm very proud of that result. And then my training's only improved since then. So I'm looking forward to the next marathon opportunity to try to continue to improve that just like in 2013. 2003 when I was starting running and looking to improve you know, my mile and two mile times. It's, it's no different now. So you're and you're coming to New York to do the New York City Marathon. Yes, the New York City Marathon is, uh, I believe, the largest marathon in the world, and it's certainly one of the best marathons in the world. It's a incredible field that the New York Roadrunners always brings in. You know, you're competing the best men or women in the U.S., but also the best men and women in the in the world. And the organization just makes the event top notch from uh, start to finish. And I'm really excited for the opportunity to, to show that I'm not, that I'm on the next level and I'm ready to compete with, with those guys. So you are heading to the 2020 Olympic trials. Right. Out of the last 
two-ish years of qualifying times, two and a half years of qualifying times. I have the, uh, I think it's the 10th fastest time. But besides Galen Rupp, who's kind of the clear favorite, everyone from second to about 20th on that list is right there. So certainly consider myself a contender to make the team. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm the favorite, but I'm certainly one of the names on the list. That's so awesome. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about the different factors that can fluctuate on race day, one of which is weather. And that's certainly something you know a lot about with your PhD in meteorology. Talk about setting goals with running. You have set some serious goals in your career and education, which you are achieving as we speak. Talk to me a little bit about that career. Well, I found it fascinating. I was in fourth grade looking at uh, snowstorms and hoping that we'd have a day off of school so I could go and play outside in the snow. Uh, and that fascination just led me to going to school, going to college, that is, to study it and become as much of an expert as I could. Um, once I got into school, I found that research science was really quite fascinating to be able to dive into a research project and advance the state of the science. And that led me to pursuing uh, getting a PhD and I was very fortunate to have a project funded by Department of Energy that focused on renewable energy predictions, specifically solar power using machine learning. It was a really neat topic because it has a, a very important apl application of trying to better utilize clean renewable energy resources compared to, you know, dirtier fossil fuels. So it's a, a very powerful thing to have this fascination for weather but also be uh, doing research science that has this benefit to society. And, and it's one of the things that the National Center for Atmospheric Research, or NCAR, where I work, as uh, we want to do science for the betterment of society. So it, it's very passionate. It's fun to be able to, to go to work and focus on that. Um, and then when I'm focused on running, I am focused on being the best runner I can be. And when I am you know, with my family, I'm focused on being the the best husband and, and father that I can be. So it, I think having the appropriate balance in life, and for me, it's meteorology. Um, for others, it could be something totally different. But having the balance between your career, you know, your hobby or your passion outside of the work, and then, you know, family is just a great way to live life. It is. It's the perfect trifecta of events. It's like family, career, and like whatever your passion is, like all of those things are together. So tell me about the project that you're working on to improve wind and solar power prediction in Kuwait. Basically, the, the project in Kuwait is at the Kuwait Institute of Scientific Research. And there is a very large renewable energy plant that is being developed. And we've been provided data from some of the early stage of development to build a forecasting system so that when their plant is complete, uh, within the next five to 10 years, it will be the largest or second largest renewable energy uh, plant in the world at that time. Um, they're able to better utilize the wind and solar so that they can minimize having other costly fossil fuel-based resources in order to keep the lights on in Kuwait. So I think that this is a really fascinating project because it's a desert climate. You know, instead of just trying to forecast clouds in the short term for the prediction of solar power, you have to get the aerosols right. You have to get the dust right. So there's a lot of different scientific complexities in right. this problem that's different than other problems or other locations that have similar amount of solar power. So 
it's advancing the science. It's uh, hopefully bettering the usage of clean energy in Kuwait. And I think there's a lot of cities and governments that are setting goals of getting to 100% clean power by 2040 or 2050. And I think we do need technological advancements in order to get there. So you make the joke about could you harness the the energy from running? It's like, uh, maybe, maybe there's technology out there that's going to be needed in order to make the grid 100% um, non-fossil fuel based. And right. I think we would all appreciate those, you know, technological innovations. That's very cool. And you're also working on an algorithm to improve wildfire prediction. We're in the closing stages of, of that project. So basically we're to improve wildfire prediction, we're trying to improve estimates of what the fuel moisture content is. So firefighters typically now to estimate something like the live fuel moisture content or how much moisture is in fuels that are living, the firefighters will go out in the field with an incinerator. They will pick this live material, they will weigh it, they will put it in the incinerator, they will weigh the uh, incinerated material that's left over and then derive how much moisture was in it. Then they take this data, they fill it out on their spreadsheet and it gets uploaded that night. And then there's new estimates that are done, you know, in a handful of different locations within each state. It's not a great representation of really how dry everything is. Right. So we uh, and the principal investigator of our project had the idea that, well, could we use satellite data to infer what the fuel moisture content is and therefore be able to get an estimate that's a gridded product across all of uh, all of the U.S. So we looked at the satellite data, compared it to the observations. I trained machine learning algorithms to learn how the relationships between the satellite-based data and surface observations compared to the fuel moisture content and the changes in the fuel moisture content. And now we've derived an algorithm that is running live and making predictions uh, every day across all of CONUS at one kilometer resolution rather than on the order of hundreds of observations that get uploaded uh, and then this very sparse interpolation to get that uh, weak estimate. Now we're getting higher resolution, more accurate estimates. So um, are you using that technology everywhere or is it in certain regions that you're using it? Or? Good question. The prediction is being done for all of the continental United States, but okay. we're focused on importing the those predictions of the fuel moisture content into a weather research and forecasting model that's being run over Colorado. This model actually does the prediction of how wildfire would spread. So firefighters can go online to this model, be able to say, if we had an ignition point uh, outside of Estes Park, Colorado, in this location, how would the wildfire spread given the fuel moisture content estimates across the area as well as what the weather is expected to do over the next several days. That is, that's so incredible. That's such a great opportunity to be able to work on those kinds of projects with, and initiatives with people to, you know, help sell, save and predict, you know, the wildfires and understand like how you can stop them. Definitely. So you've been running this whole time that you're working on these globally game-changing meteorology-focused initiatives and getting your PhD and having this very serious career 
in meteorology and and you've been running is that sort of what fuels you for success in this other area of your life and in your career uh i think it helps living life with a uh, a goal setting positive and passionate attitude i think when you're living all of your life in that regard you have it's much more rewarding it's much more impactful I'm very, very fortunate that my wife, Kristen, is super positive and supportive, and we encourage each other uh, in our goals and dreams. And I think that what I learned from running, I take a lot of the same principles and concepts that you learn from the successes to the failures and apply them into the workforce, too. And maybe I don't know how to better train the machine learning algorithm to predict fuel moisture content for wildfire prediction because of my last session of mile repeats test training you know can be applied um, from one to the other how do you see i mean i feel like in sport and with athleticism it's all about goal setting and then achieving those achieving even the smallest goals like whatever it is there's always a goal and whenever i'm you know back in my office trying to you know make things happen I'm always, I always am, you know, setting these goals for my career and for, you know, my clients or for whatever work that I'm doing um, at the time. And it's, it's the same thing. Like they kind of like bounce off each other because I feel like in, in running, you know, you start setting these goals and you come up with a strategy like every year I'll come up with a plan or like an entire year long plan of, you know, what races I'm doing, when I'm doing my bulk of my training, where I'm training, what kind of workouts I'm doing. And I do the same thing for my career. Like every year I'm like, okay, what kind of clients am I going to have? Like, what are some of the bigger initiatives? How am I going to get from here to there? You know, it's, it's so similar, but I think without, I think without sports and without, you know, I've been doing triathlons and running now for like 10 years. And without that, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I would be a very different person, which is why I think it's great that you are, you know, bringing this to, to children and to kids and teaching them about running and sports at such a young age. Yeah, I, th- I think the principles you learn in both aspects, your, let's say your career and your running, uh, can be so transferable. Even like you're talking about goal setting and coming up with a plan. Like my whiteboard of my office here is splattered with all my different projects and goals and dates that I have for them. And when new things come up, I add to it. And that's not that different from setting goals down um, on your running career. And I remember before I ran to 12, I did my last long run. I ran two hours and 12 minutes and I put the watch on the table and told uh, Kristen and her dad, Steve, I was like, I'm going to run to 12 in, in 10 days. And being able to write things down and to verbalize them and have that commitment to the goals that you have, whether it is in sport or whether it is in your career, is just such an important principle uh, and something that you continuously learn and refine uh, in both aspects of your life. And now is Kristen also an athlete? She is. Um, but when we met, she had just started running and now uh, running is a part of her every day as well. She's yeah. back running and then she has, you know, goals to improve upon her time since before she got pregnant. She's never done a full marathon. The half is half or about a 25 is about the longest that she's 
she's run and the marathon bug I'm sure is somewhat there but improving the time in the half is something that she's excited about and I'm really excited to encourage her to, to try to improve upon it. That's cool so I mean do you ever run together? So one of the smartest things that we've done is bought uh, two treadmills so we have two treadmills at the house and when we were both working uh, obviously she's on maternity leave now right but, not right now uh, like given uh, yeah yeah when we were both working we would run on the treadmill together in the morning uh, multiple times a week and even now like she was uh, run walking on the treadmill next to me as I was doing my run this morning so we certainly do that a lot and occasionally uh, outside together it gets a little bit more complicated with uh, a baby and a jogging stroller but we did a couple of runs in Hawaii where I did my workout and then I can't even believe that she's like together. running now like seven <laughs> days after having a baby yeah she, uh, she's in seven weeks after seven weeks baby. okay oh okay whoa yeah, I, but they still i can't believe she's running after seven weeks of having a baby she's very very impressive uh and certainly provides me a lot of inspiration in life and so that's great that's so wonderful i mean that's so important right it's like you know you need all the different elements to kind of balance things out when did you go all in with the marathon distance? Like, when did you know, like, that was your distance? That's a really good question. I felt like in high school and in college, the longest distance always suited me best. So the two mile in high school, the 10K in college. Um, and I had done a half marathon when I had redshirted a track season and that went fairly well. So after college, I moved to the marathon. I did my first one. Uh, six months after graduating, uh, it was also the California International Marathon, and I ran 217 and qualified for my first Olympic trials back in 2010. And I felt like the marathon was a great event, and I could be a lot better at it. Uh, since then, I've had I probably got too excited about the marathon and did too many in my earlier career, and now I'm much more sustainable at one to two marathons a year and feel that it's definitely my strongest race and continuing to dial it in now taking the next step of going from competing at you know california national marathon was u.s championship so it was not an international field and although i finished second i had to make that next step of how do i go to bigger races and be much more competitive so like doing the la marathon this past march i ran with the leaders for uh, about 19 miles and just learning how to race at that at the highest level against the best guys, it, it takes time. And it's different than trying to run like a time trial marathon. Where you're just like, all right, I'm going to go out there and try to run five flat exactly per mile for 26.2. It's learning that competition at the highest level. So I don't think there was necessarily any moment where it's like the marathon is, is my game. I'm only focused on the marathon. I knew it would be a process that I would be learning and trying to prove upon. And now in my early 30s, I feel like, I'm getting to that, the next level, which is really the highest level of competing against the best and the biggest marathons. So is that like the next gear? Is that that gear that, you know, everybody talks about? It's, I don't know if it's like the fifth gear. It's like a mindset. It's a whole other kind of race. Yeah, it's a mindset of I'm going there to try to be, you know, on the podium or top 10. And in order to do that, you got to take calculated risks you can't race timidly you can't come in with this like only game plan of as i said running five flat miles the whole time you have to react and you have to run on instincts and with great confidence from your preparation 
mental and physical leading up to it. So it's really that next year, I think probably more mental, honestly, than physical of being able to be at mile 18 and having been running fast for, you know, an hour and 30 or an hour, 40 minutes and be thinking about how do I break the guys who are still with me at this time? Like, how do you get ahead and how do you push? How do you push? Yeah. How do you how do you beat the people who are around you rather than how do you finish in you know, X, Y, or Z time. And I think that the time always comes when you race to the best of your abilities and really just race the competition. So that's, I think, really that next mental step is being relaxed and confident and early on so that you can be confident and aggressive later on in the marathon. Is there anything that you think about when you're running or is it just like empty space and just focused on, you know, that moment in time that you're moving? The best races is when it's more empty space. I think sometimes you need to reflect back on why you're doing something. And there's certainly been times where I've kissed my ring in the race and thought about my wife uh, or thought about the people that support me most. But that really having that, uh, that clear mind when you're just in the zone or in flow is really when you get peak performance. What are some of the longest runs that you do? What's the long, the most distance that you'll do on like a training run? It varies in marathon cycles, but normally uh, between two hours and 15 minutes to maybe two and a half hours. Uh, I think before LA, my longest was 22 miles that I actually did on a treadmill because of snow. That's fairly typical, my longest run in marathon training. And in non-marathon training, it's probably more like a 15 to 18 mile Sunday long run. Do you think about anything during those long, slow distance miles? Are they long, slow distance? Or is it like a difference, you're in zone two? Or? So I don't really, I go all based on effort. I don't typically wear a Garmin or know my t- pace really. I certainly don't wear a heart rate monitor. You don't? Um, oh, so you don't do any of that. Okay, cool. No, I'm very, for as analytical I am as a scientist in yeah. meteorology and atmospheric science, I'm as far removed from being overly analytical uh, in running. And it's something my coach, Steve Jones, really stressed upon me. is like, keep the purity in the sport. Like, when I want you to run hard, I want you to run hard. When I want you to run easy, you need to run easy. And I think on most Sunday long runs, I'm probably running low six-minute pace. Sometimes, you know, by the end of the run, I know what pace I did or I might have run with somebody who had a watch on. Uh, So I might know at the end, but it's not something I'm, like, focused on of, like, all right, I need to be, you know, running X pace for, you know, Y distance on Sunday. Uh, It's really going off feel. And because of that, I think it allows your mind to kind of think about the race. I spend a lot of time visualizing um, how the race is going to play out. And when you go through a bad patch on a Sunday long run, being able to reflect back on past marathons you've done and the bad patches you've gone through and how you've ended up running better later on as you shifted from that bad patch to a good patch and vice versa. And just building that confidence that you're capable of running to the best of your abilities for a race that's over two hours long. So you're very connected with how you feel when you're running. Definitely. And you're not looking at a watch and you're not thinking about the numbers or the time. Like you're more, I say I'm the opposite, but I'm obviously not a professional athlete. <laughs> but, um, but I do, I do, I do geek out on numbers like big time. I mean, it's just maybe my triathlon training back, back to that. But I do, I do really um, 
I don't know. I look at my, I do try to, I think because for me, I'm obviously more of a beginner, like amateur athlete. And so, you know, I feel like if I didn't look at my watch and someone said, go easy, like I might go hard and not know it. I mean, and I, I've been training and doing, working out for years, like doing running or triathlon, but I still don't always get that. And I, since I've been training for the marathon, I have learned so much that I was so surprised. I never even imagined what the training would be like. And I'm just, there's a lot of key learnings that I'm getting from running that I never even thought about before. You know, doing the long, slow distance with a watch for me has been so helpful because if I don't look at what my heart rate is, you know, within that 10 beat, 10 beat range, I would be, I would be dead by like the third mile, probably (laughs) like (laughs) I have no pacing skills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And that comes with, that comes with time training and experience too. I mean, I, you know, I don't wear a Garmin and know the pace or know my heart rate. It's all perceived effort. And I've been coached by Steve Jones for it'll be seven years in November and our workouts are pretty repetitive. I mean, almost every Tuesday I'm doing three minute repeats or five minute repeats. Um, and they are at the same locations each time. And I don't wear a Garmin, but some of the, I might know from this tree to this tree, how far I normally get. Um, and I feel when you are just really learning by effort, you still can have benchmarks and idea of how fast you're running, Mm -hmm. but you're not trying to necessarily, you know, change your efforts when you're running hard um, based on the pace. And I think that's important. To your point, I think it's absolutely correct. <laughs> the mistake is made so often where you run too hard on easy days. Yeah. So if you have something that keeps you in check, um, for me, it might be trying to go and meet some friends to go run on a trail where we know we're not going to run hard on that trail. That's one you know, very simple way of keeping running enjoyable and making sure you're still having conversation with somebody. Yeah. If you're still having conversation, it's conversational. And now it's not too hard of a pace. But on hard workout days, I think there is something really to be gained from uh, throwing away the watch and pushing to new limits and really trying to challenge yourself. I'm going to try it on my next run. I'm going to try just like, I have to, I think I might not be able to like, I'll just put some tape over the watch so I can just not look at it. But I don't know if I could let go of the numbers altogether because I, what I do, I love to look at the numbers and then, you know, whatever. It's a, it's, it's something that I've had, um, different coaches, you know, this is my first marathon by the way. So I'm doing New York city and I'm really excited I think it's the slowest marathon I've ever run when okay. I was in really good shape. It oh, was just okay. a year before I ran 212, and I made a lot of mistakes. I, that course is hard. I mean, it's challenging. The bridges are not very easy. Your first mile, you go up Baranzano. Your next mile, you go down it. There's a very hard cement pavement for a lot of it. So I spent uh, too much energy probably early on fighting the wind, wore shoes that were too light. My legs were trashed by the time I got to 20 miles. I felt like I never really got to race and show my fitness on that day. Right. And I think that's a great, you know, experience of, yes, it didn't go very well, but had I had a watch on and been looking at all of my splits and they would have been varied because of, you know, the terrain and what the competitors were doing and what the wind was like at that point of the race, you know, all of those things can like analysis, 
what's it analysis uh, paralysis, paralysis yeah yeah you know you're just like overthinking it so uh, there's certainly benefits to it i have an immaculate training log from 2008 through today that i keep online um but it's all pretty much estimated a lot of what i have in there is you know how i felt i did six by five minutes hard i felt this way you know and uh i think i was running fast or i was definitely just logging through it today but i got it done and i i'm not opposed to people being analytical about things mm-hmm. I think making sure to not being analytical and using your mental energy while working hard learning from your experiences is you know a different story right like the race debrief or your training run your training you know debrief after but not being so dialed into it while you're doing it exactly what are some of the mistakes you made what are some of the other mistakes you made in new york city just for anybody listening that's doing it that you know maybe you have some advice of maybe some Mm -hmm. things to do and not to do from your level of racing that could apply to you know anyone a beginner like me (laughs) i think you do a lot of training runs that are relatively solo you might have a group you might pass a few people on the run but there's nobody that's really cheering for you. Enter New York where the streets are lined and packed with people and you get off uh, the bridge at mile 15 into Manhattan and the crowds are so loud you can't even hear your feet hitting the ground. It's hard to control that mental energy, okay. that, that excitement, that adrenaline that you get. And if you get a surge of adrenaline and you're at mile 15 of a marathon and you still have 11 to go, you need to pump the brakes a little bit and relax and remain running within yourself. So I think that might be one of the, the biggest things to remember when training and when you're visualizing is it's going to be loud. There's going to be a lot of excitement. That's great. Don't get carried away with it early. Let that propel you on the last 10K rather than one of the middle 10Ks of the New York City Marathon course. That's great advice. I think that I hear that kind of advice from a lot of different coaches and people that have done it. It's like the race should not begin until mile 20. You should relax until because it's a lot of hills a lot of climbing, a lot of false flats, and um, and you just and there's a lot of energy right around you, like you just said, um, and nutrition. I mean, your nutrition is going to be different than someone who's a beginner, um, you know, doing it in like four or five hours. But at the same time, it's like you know, people should do. You, how important is nutrition for you, and do you think it's important for? Yeah, nutrition is critically important in the marathon. Uh, I use something called. Um, Martin, and it is a a drink, and they also have gels that my body consumes really well. Uh, I'll take in five to 600 calories, about 250 calories an hour, which I think science has kind of shown that most stomachs can learn to tolerate and digest about that much, Uh, and I don't have any stomach issues with that. So I really try to be smart with getting the bottle every time, especially early on. Typically, as elites, we get bottles approximately every 5K. Um, so getting a bottle every 15 minutes or so, drinking about four ounces of the drink, really maintains a, a steady flow of nutrition coming in and hydration coming in. Uh, and that's really worked well for me. So your nutrition is mixed in with your hydration? Correct. My sort of, I drink water with noon's hydration and then... 
I bring extra tablets with me and then I just pop them in. I mean, this is my normal routine. I don't know how it will be, but I will, and I just fill up, you know, I stop every few miles for water. I try to drink as much water as possible, which I'm thinking might be a problem, (laughs) but, um, but yeah. I'll I'll give you a total hack of the system. Yes, Uh, please. I gave this this advice to an ultra marathoner and he tried the drink and he loved it and he's, you know, finishing top 10 at Western States. So he's uh, clearly one of the, the best ultra guys. And what he found was he puts the, the powder for the drink in breast milk storage bags and he carries the breast milk storage bags with him and then he can just fill his bottle with water, dump in the mix and he's good to go. So that's one That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. Yes. And so and so you had mentioned that you run in ultra running sneakers, which I know they're amazing. Do you have different sneakers for different distances that you run and then ones that you use on race day? Obviously, you're not supposed to put on a new pair of sneakers on race day. But is there like, what's your philosophy around the sneakers that you're wearing um, for race day and training? Really good question. Uh, and yeah, I, I do run an ultra. Uh, I love love every single ultra shoe that I've ever worn. Um, the idea behind ultra is zero drop, so no drop from the heel to the toe, uh, more natural. And because it's more natural, you tend to have a wider toe box, uh, so your feet are not crammed into the shoe. It's kept me healthy. I've really thoroughly enjoyed them. There's a variety of shoes that I wear, and I think that that is really important. So I'll wear the Escalante Racers or a pair of the Solstice for racing uh, the marathon and below. And then in training, I'll shift between the Escalantes, the Duos, and a trail shoe called the Superior. And I think when you vary your shoes, your shoe type, you're also varying ever so slightly how your foot and your body takes an impact. And I think that's really important because if you're doing 100 miles a week and you're doing it all in the exact same shoe, you might tend to put a little bit too much stress on different parts of the body. So I think that that's important for injury prevention, for strength training, um, and then keeping kind of your your go-to shoe for racing. I might have a pair of this two pairs of the shoe, one that I wear all the time in training and one that I just save for racing and making sure that I've done a couple tune-up races in that exact shoe so that I come to the start line where I have a pretty fresh pair of kicks that I'm excited about and that it's been battle-tested. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. I love that idea, actually. You know, because I actually do switch my sneakers out for, you know, for track, for treadmill, because I just like to have variety. And I also know that you know, I'm also trying to build the muscles in the bottom of my feet and in my legs. And I know that, you know, it's fun to run in a light sneaker, but for a longer distance, I might need more support. The other thing is how many miles do you put on your sneakers? Like each pair, do you have like a certain distance that you just toss them? Uh, it's probably about 400 miles on average. Uh, some of the racing flats might get a little bit less. Some of the the trainers that are used just for easy days, I might get a little bit more, but it's probably about 400 miles. And because I rotate between different uh, shoe models during any given week, you know, they last more than just one month at a hundred miles a week. Right. So, you know, I have pairs that I'm wearing that I've been wearing since February uh, that, you know, I'm probably getting closer to that 400 mile mark, but they're still pretty good. 
do you donate them to any program when you're done or nobody wants to wear your sneakers after you've worn them for 400 miles? Actually, I think it's very important to donate them. I generally try to take them to a local running store normally has a donation bin. Um, and then uh, Shoes for Africa, I think, is another organization that, that takes shoes and um, donates them to people who do not have shoes. And they might get many more hundreds of miles out of that, those pairs. Interesting. Do you have a like a program that you use or it's your own like proprietary dashboard for your training? No, I use Athletic Core. It's a log that has been available since I needed to find a log in 2008. So it's, it's on there. I can do an Excel download. I, I do it just to have a backup copy in case like a Athletic Core ever goes down. But um, it's nothing fancy, but it has all the information I need of mileage and I can put a shoe with it so I can see how many miles are on that pair of shoes. But honestly, more often than not, I see that the shoe is starting to wear or I just feel like it doesn't quite have that same pop that it used to have. Um, yeah. And it's typically around that 400 mile mark. And I feel like the, like I just, the more I run, the more I feel like connected with running. And so I, I don't know, I feel I feel things through running, right? So like, you know, I now understand what you just, like, you know, up until probably a couple weeks ago, you know, I'm a runner, I love running, I do triathlon, but I've never spent so much time running in my life. (laughs) And, you know, training for the marathon, it's like, everybody's like, you know, what are you doing today for your workout? I'm like running. It's like, I feel like I say that every single day. It's like coffee, running, coffee, running, work. Like there's no, like some, like before I started training for the marathon, I was like, oh, going to do a 3000 meter swim. And then like tomorrow is an hour and a half bike. And then I'm doing a short run. And there were like all these different workouts. And now it's like running, 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 running. But now I'm like learning the nuances of running and that, you know, within running, there are so many different types of quote unquote sports within running like tempo or speed or long, slow distance. My other obsession is the weather and running. Since you have a PhD in meteorology, is that something you ever think about? (laughs) Or they are totally, I mean, your PhD in meteorology is so far removed from like the day-to-day weather, but at the same time, you know, as an athlete, you know, maybe not even related to your degree in meteorology, how do you sort of get prepared for the weather and are there different, like different layers or apparel that you'll wear, like depending on the weather? Good question. I think there's certainly a need for better forecasts that have decision support built into them. So instead of getting a prediction for tomorrow morning that it's going to be 45 degrees and this humidity and this wind speed, you're getting a prediction of this is the ideal running outfit that matches the weather and the associated uncertainty in the forecast if there's a 50 percent chance of rain that's way different for what you should wear than if there's a 10 percent chance or a 90 percent chance right yeah so i think because i understand the predictability of the weather and that really all the forecasts are given in you know probabilities and a degree of uncertainty around the forecast right that i think it'd be better to incorporate that into the real decision support of what to wear rather than trying to do that analysis every morning before going out of what the weather's supposed to be. Does that look like it's going to be accurate? And then choosing, um, choosing what you're going to wear. I'm very fortunate to be supported by rabbit running. It's an apparel brand based in Santa Barbara, California, and they make running specific apparel that has just been phenomenal. So 
I'm, I feel very fortunate that I have quite a selection of, of rabbit clothes to wear on any given day. I always think like somebody needs to do a weather report that's focused on outdoor athletics because specifically running. I don't know if the, there's like a market for that or if it exists, but I would, and I'm not in, in the market to start any other businesses, but I think it's a great idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would love to know like, okay, you know, it's like 80 degrees, but it's going to feel like 100. And for the first three miles, you're going to be really hot, um, you know, or like the opposite in the winter. I'm like, usually, you know, I, I always misread it. I, I started writing down what I wear, but it's still, it's never... It's never really as predictable as I want it to be. So I wear layers. Yeah. And then... the, the other component that I've thought about um, is could you take, and certainly there's the data out there from races and what the weather was like, to be able to come up with a algorithm that would estimate your pace given other weather. So I just ran a half marathon in Hawaii. I woke up, I checked the weather. There's a station that's, uh, like the next hotel over and it's showing 80 degrees Fahrenheit and the dew point is 79. And it's like, whoa, in Colorado, the dew point is like never 79 degrees. It was soaked in sweat before warm up was even done before the race. How does that time compare to other years when it's been closer to 70 degrees? Or how would that time compare to other races that are at, sea level and it's a perfect 45 degrees and calm winds versus strong winds uh and then building the algorithm so that you could you know look back and kind of compare your better compare your fitness and your result at one race to another given the weather conditions and what the course is like um but that would require getting the data having the time to actually develop that algorithm and fully test it so if anyone wants to fund that i think new york roadrunners should do it but they should legitimately have you know their own weather forecast on their website it would be it would be really neat it would be hard but what you could do that i think would be really fascinating is you have all the new york city marathon's always been competitive for every age group so you could pull the historical information from like the top in the age group and assume that the level of competition doesn't change too much. So you compare that to what the weather conditions were like being able to come up with a better estimate of how much the weather actually impacted the overall times for the majority of the runners. And then being able to kind of have a prediction for given the weather, how that would affect different parts of the course so if you have a wind from the east you're going to have a headwind at you know these different miles and how much your pace might be slowed so you really need to have like an interactive forecast map of like your perceived effort and how much it would change over the course of the race but i think that is the future of could you imagine like if the weather channel but for like sports like if maybe espn should do it you know they should just have like that exact the exact stats and data that you did that you just gave me but like nationally constantly inventing things that don't need to be invented but I am (laughs) what's your connection with Hawaii like how did you I'm just taking us back to Kauai I've been there by the way which is so weird because I mean I don't really think a lot of people go there to visit when they go to Hawaii or do they is it one of the more I don't think so. It's more the Garden Island, uh, yeah. more for adventure than it is for, you know, more people go to Maui or 
Oahu. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I went, you know, I grew up in New York and they have these like teen tours and I went to Hawaii and we went to Maui. We went to the main island. We went to Kauai though. It was so interesting. But yeah, what is your connection with Kauai? Like how did you end up there from Pennsylvania, which is where you grew up? Yeah, so my 2011, I saw the Kauai Marathon thing called the $15,000 Speed Challenge. And they were promoting that the course was hot, hilly, and humid, three H's. So they wanted to have a fast time. So they put a $15,000 to be split among the men that broke 230 and the women that broke 245 uh, with an asterisk that 2500 was guaranteed to the winner. So I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to go to Hawaii and try to compete in a competitive marathon where I have an opportunity to actually make a little bit of money. And I had run, I was still a 217 marathoner, so I felt like even with the humidity and hills, I should be able to run within 13 minutes of my personal best on that course. Um, so I looked at all the, the possible cheapest ways to get out there to make it cost-effective and stayed at a, a place I think I found off Craigslist in the middle of the island and became friends with the host and even did a hike the day after the marathon with her son. I was just blown away by the overall aloha spirit of the island. And I ended up running 223, and only Mike Wardian and I broke the 230. So it ended up being a, a very nice payday as well. But it was really the connection with the community and the race staff that made me just love the island. So I came back the following year, and I missed it by 30 seconds. And then I came back the year after that, and I ran 221 and felt like I was floating and had started the, the Kauai Marathon youth running program around then uh, where we had a, a cakey race or a kids race. So we got about 150 kids in the first year to run anywhere from a quarter mile to a half mile on this grass loop by the water uh, of the Grand Hyatt. And it was this just incredible uh, week I spent out there visiting schools, talking about running, where it can take you, the work-life balance. Um, and I just felt super well connected to the community. And it, it was a wonderful three years of doing the marathon. Uh, I then realized in my career I was doing too many marathons and needed to cut back the number of full marathons I was doing. So I've done the half marathon every year since and tried to put more time and energy into uh, building the kids program. We've now given out, I think, $7,500 in college scholarships to graduating seniors. So it was fun to be able to present them uh, their checks this past weekend when uh, we were at the award ceremony for the half marathon and full marathon. Um, getting more kids to enjoy the sport, getting more families connected with it being a family event. I feel that for as much aloha as the island has given me, I'm hoping that I'm giving some back to a, a community that lacks a lot of major sporting events. That's so sweet. That's wonderful. I was reading on your website, you have a quote, like your favorite quote. Is that from the book, The Power of One? Uh, yes, it is. Is that the that boxing is. book? It is. Yeah. I read that book. How weird. I would never read a boxing book, but that was like one of the best books I ever read. I was, my college coach, Beth Alfred Sullivan, recommended that I read that book. And it is absolutely phenomenal and really talks about, you know, first with the mind, then with the heart. That's how you win from the start. It's something that I've tried to really embody in my racing and my my life is, you know, living with intention, but also living with a full heart. 
do you have like a favorite story from the book that you would want to share that you think was like, you know, mind changing for you or like super inspiring? I think Bryce Courtney, the author, does just such a great job of personifying the trials and tribulations that the one of the main characters, PK, goes through. It's hard to really put in like one story or one snippet of that book that really comes through. It's that it wasn't easy for him to get to the top, but he had great mentors. He surrounded himself with the right positive people. And when hardships came up, when there was big challenges where things that were really unfair were brought upon him, he never let that get to him and go away from his goals and dreams. And I think that it's personified in boxing, which is, you know, one of the the toughest <laughs> physical demanding sports uh, and probably dangerous sports that there is. Um, but it's just like really well personified in yeah. that, like true belief in yourself. It was such an amazing book. Are there any books you're reading now that you really love that you think are super inspiring or interesting for athletes? I've been struggling to find uh, very many good books lately, but I will say both my wife and I read Dina Castor's book. Okay. And her, uh, I think it's Mind on the Run or something along those lines, is absolutely phenomenal. And how she portrays her career is every chapter I feel like you're drawing some sort of inspiration or something you've learned from uh, out of that out of that book. So uh, I would love to tell that to Dina someday. I hope that we can, because it's one of, I think, the most impactful sports-related books that I've ever read. That's great. Last thing, you and your wife have a very new baby. Tell me about Levi, which is the cutest name. Okay, so I think the the last thing to really talk about is uh, my son is now eight weeks old. His name is Levi. Um Levi's been a phenomenal traveler, so we will be bringing him to the New York City Marathon. And I think one of the really important things about choosing races uh, is choosing races that really benefit the local community, that care about families, and that care about elite performance. And it's because that's what the sport is, too. We have to remember that there is a professional side of the sport. And the New York Roadrunners and the New York City Marathon encapsulate all of that, where they really care about supporting the professional athletes the best way they can, making sure that their families are there, that you're connected with the community. They give back so much to the youth programs. I watched the New Balance Fifth Avenue Mile this past weekend, and I know that they uh, had a stat of like 20 years of free kids running through the New York Roadrunners programs. And I think when when you pick races that have a bigger meaning and you have a stronger why for why you're trying to achieve your goals, it makes the race more impactful and you're more likely to have a rewarding experience, whether or not you achieve that goal, than a race that's just chosen because you want a specific time or um, another extraneous goal. I like that. That's really That's a really good approach and philosophy around picking races that you do. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I look forward to listening to it when you post it. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. 
If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.